1: life if you give your
0: heart and believe what he's done for you you'll be set
1: for life with the treasure stored up in heaven when you're through you'll be for life Do you ever get disappointed in people that won't give it all they've got? I mean when you give them a task to do, they just kind of go at it halfway. Their heart is halfway in it, they have no drive, they're, they're just not there. We're going to see some of that today in Second Kings thirteen, the promise of victory. In the twenty third year of Joash, the son of Ahaziah, King of Judah, Jehoahaz, the son of Jehu, became king over Israel and Samaria, and reigned seventeen years. He did evil in the sight of the Lord, and followed the sins of Jeroboam the son of Nebat, who had made Israel sin. He did not depart from them. Then the anger of the Lord was aroused against Israel, and he delivered them into the hand of Hazael, king of Syria, and into the hand of Ben-Hadad, the son of Hazael, all their days. You know, if there's one thing we can understand from all of our studies from First Kings and Second Kings, it's that once sin is allowed to take root, it is very, very hard to dig it back out again. We were told about Jeroboam here. So Jeroboam, I got to looking into it. He lived at about 910 B.C., and Jehoiah has lived around 609 B.C. And so since Jehoiah has followed the sin of Jeroboam, what this means is that this sin mess that Jeroboam had started, it was still plaguing Israel 300 years later. This is hard to dig out. So Jehoiah has he committed the sins of Jeroboam because he learned it from his father, King Jehu. Now, wait a minute, Ray. I thought King Jehu was the guy that was sent by God to take out all those other kings for pushing Baal worship. Well, he was. But then Jehu ended up pushing the belief system of Jeroboam. It says so in Second Kings 10.29. says, however, Jehu did not turn away from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who had made Israel sin, that is, from the golden calves that were at Bethel and Dan. So we went from Baal worship to golden calf worship, which is what the Israelites did when they first got out of Egypt. And that severely made God pretty mad with them. And so now under King Jehoiah, the Egyptian golden calf worship is right back in Israel all over again. It says the Lord was angry against Israel, and so what did God do? He moved an enemy in to attack them and hold Israel down for this sin that they did. 2 Kings 13 and 4. So Jehoiah has pleaded with the Lord, and the Lord listened to him, for he saw the oppression of Israel because the king of Syria oppressed them. Then the Lord gave Israel a deliverer, so that they escaped from under the hand of the Syrians. And the children of Israel dwelt in their tents as before. Now, you got King Jehoahaz, the guy that he caused all this mess. He's the one that's been pushing the the sin of Jeroboam. He suddenly gets down on his knees before God and pleaded. He begged for help. And guess what, guys? The Lord listened to him. Now, that's amazing because typically the last people that you ever want to listen to are the ones that are causing you the most trouble. But God did listen, and not only did the Lord listen, but the Lord also acted to save Israel by sending them a deliverer. Now, we had read about Israel's various deliverers in the past that were all great men of God. They had, some had the ability to fight. Uh, there's been some of them, like Mordecai, who had political power that they used for God's purpose. But in this case, what kind of deliverer did they get? It is speculated that Israel's deliverer was that from a king whose name was King Adad Nerari, but he was a king of Assyria. He had been out fighting against a lot of nations during that time in history. And so this king's sweeping domination was coming through the lands all over the place. And that may have caused the Syrians to have to turn their attention over to fighting against this king instead of oppressing Israel. So you've got, they're oppressing Israel, the king of Israel pleads with the Lord, and so God sends them a deliverer. And it doesn't say who the deliverer was, but if you look historically, it could be this king came by fighting with them, and so they had to leave messing with Israel to fend these other guys off. So in this case, I'm not saying it's absolute, but it could be historically aligned that Israel's deliverer was a conquering king that came through the area and distracted Israel's enemy from messing with them to having to turn to fight this king away. Could be that God sent them a man that we are never given the name, and he did his job, and that's as far as we need to know about it. But it says in verse 5 that Israel escaped, and they dwelt in their tents as before. I take this to mean that when Israel came out of Egypt in the Exodus, hundreds of years before this, when they came out, they have to, they had to live in tents back then too. So it's almost like a repeat story from Exodus here, that Israel, they had made their golden calves under the influence of their king. It angered the Lord, and so he sent them some oppression. He pleaded, and now they were delivered, and here they are living in tents again, or sukkahs if you would call it, all over again, just like before, because they probably lost their homes during that oppression they were under. So, after all that they had been through, all this suffering, all this trial, and after the Lord listened to them, and he worked to save them, they got to see him do it. Do you think they would repent by now? Let's take a look. 2 Kings thirteen six. Nevertheless, they did not depart from the sins of the house of Jeroboam, who had made Israel sin, but walked in them. And the wooden image also remained in Samaria. Okay, goodness. So the Israelites, they, okay, they prayed to the Lord, and they were moved to pray. They didn't just do it on their own. They were moved to pray by the oppression that was caused by their own sin. And so God acted to save them. He saved them. He pulled them out. They escaped. And then they went right back to doing the same sin all over again. Doesn't that just drive you nuts? I got this goofy dog. His name is Ico, and we call him Ico the Psycho. He has this habit of licking the floor. He just licked the floor. It's this rug we have, and you'll come through and step on this wet spot, and it's just, and plus, I hate listening to him do it, and it's just, I don't know. I I, I can't stand it. So we've got this spray bottle, and when he licks the floor and he doesn't stop, we'll spray him with it, and he'll get up and run off and like, oh, I'm sorry, you know, but Give him five minutes and he's right back to doing it again, licking the floor. I don't understand this dog. He knows he's gonna get sprayed. (laughs) But he goes back right after I got onto him for it. You know, I guess I guess people are creatures of habit too. We just do the same crazy things over and over again. We're sinners. We just go back to our sin over and over. So now we get to have a look at how much damage King Adad did to Israel's army when they were oppressed. 2 Kings 13 and 7 For he left of the army of Jehoahaz only fifty horsemen, ten chariots, and ten thousand foot soldiers. For the king of Syria had destroyed them and made them like the dust at threshing. Now the rest of the acts of Jehoahaz, all that he did, and his might, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Israel? So Jehoiah has rested with his fathers, and they buried him in Samaria. Then Joash his son reigned in his place. So we can see from this passage that Israel's own sin is what cost them their own well-being. They were conquered, and whatever was left of their army, the rest was almost 100% destroyed, almost down to nothing. How many times have we seen in the Bible where somebody sinned, And it cost them everything. You know, friend, we sinned, and it doesn't have to go that way for us because it cost Jesus everything, what he paid for on the cross. You could have that penalty transferred over to him so that he dies with it upon himself so that you don't have to die with it upon yourself. But we've seen in the Bible many times, somebody or an entire nation of people, they sin and it costs them all they have. And in this case, they lost just about all their military. So Jehoiah has died and was replaced by his son, Joash. Now, okay, wait a minute, Ray, wait. We just read about Joash, that guy who rebuilt the temple. Okay, well, wait a minute. This is a different king, Joash. The other king, Joash, that you're thinking about that rebuilt the temple, he ruled over the kingdom of Judah, that side of the kingdom. But this other side of the kingdom... This new Joash is the king over the kingdom of Israel, not Judah. Now, I know this gets confusing somewhat because you've got two separate kingdoms. Both kingdoms are Israelite, but one kingdom was called Israel while the other kingdom was called Judah. But (laughs) both kings were ruled by two different kings who had the exact same name. Well, this did not just happen uh, here in 2 Kings 13 it's already happened once before where we had same name kings. Now, let me show you. From about 852 BC to 841 BC, there was a king whose name was Jehoram of Judah, and we had a king, Jehoram of Israel. This does complicate things, and I'm doing my best to keep us on track. <laughs> but the reason these kings had the same names, why? why in the world would they do this? Well, it could be due to the popularity of that name at that time. I've also heard it suggested that the name of a king had such a significant meaning to it that the other king would cut off his original name and he would take the same name of that other king in some kind of a way to assert his authority over the other one. Like, oh, you're going to call yourself, I'm big and mighty and great and, and awesome or something. Well, I'm going to call myself the same name too, just because you ain't better than me. I, it was like a competition. It was like, you're going to call yourself big and mighty. Well, I'm going to call myself big and mighty. So you have these kings with the same name because they're trying to rival each other in some kind of weird way, trying to assert their authority over the other guy. Now, I, I, I don't know. That could be the reason. But whatever the reason was for this dual named king thing going on, I just want you to know that this is a new king, Joash, who is the third king of Jehu's dynasty. 2 Kings 13 and 10. In the 37th year of Joash, king of Judah, Jehoash, the son of Jehoiahaz, became king over Israel in Samaria and reigned 16 years. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not depart from all the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel sin, but walked in them. Now the rest of the acts of Joash, all that he did, and his might with which he fought against Amaziah, the king of Judah, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Israel? So Joash rested with his fathers, then Jeroboam sat on his throne, and Joash was buried in Samaria with the kings of Israel. Okay, so you got two kings with the same name, whatever that was all about, but the Joash who ruled over Israel, he did the same evil that Jeroboam had done long time ago. In fact, did you catch it when I read it? Did you see the name of his son, the one that succeeded him and sat on his throne? What name? What did he name his son? He named him Jeroboam. So... It says in verse 13 that Jeroboam, we haven't heard of the original Jeroboam son of Nebat for a long time, but it says Jeroboam, this is another Jeroboam, he sat on Joash's throne after he died. This is not the Jeroboam son of Nebat, this is a new Jeroboam son of Joash. Now, if the kings had shared names to try to assert authority over each other, or if they shared names because of popularity, or maybe it was for both reasons, I don't know, then why do you think this new king was named Jeroboam? Probably because golden calf worship had become so popular again, and so they wanted to assert that authority, golden calf worship authority, over Israel by naming the king Jeroboam after the guy that issued it all in. In fact, I discovered that Joash reigned for a total of 16 years but he only ruled by himself for the first five years, which means the last 11 years of his reign, he had established what's called a co-regency. A co-regency is where a kingdom is ruled by more than one person. You've got two kings over a kingdom. That's called a co-regency. Jeroboam was the son of Joash, but he was also for 11 years, he was a co-regent with Joash, where they reigned together at the same time until Joash died. So you can see how they started to implement together, implemented this demonic worship very deeply into the Israelite culture as the very leadership policy of their rule. That was their drive. It was their leadership policy to do this. But you see how much trouble it caused them. It says in verse 12 that Joash fought against Amaziah, who was that, Amaziah is the son of Joash king of Judah. So you've got these two different kingdoms. They were they were basically guys they were just fighting each other all the time. Always had something to fight about no matter what was going on. And friends, here's why. As long as they served false gods, they never had any peace. I want you to consider that in your own life. As long as you serve false gods, you can never have any real peace. If you are lacking peace in your life, and you look at this world, at this nation, it's all a big mess. Nobody has any peace. Why do you think that is? They're serving false gods. Well, what false god might that be? Well, I'll tell you, one of them is money. I've got to have more money. Money's going to fix all my problems. I'm not going to pray to God for it. I need more money. Or government. More government. That's a big religion going on today. Our government's going to get us out of this mess if we could just get that other guy out of office and then you're fighting again, just like both kingdoms were. The Republicans, Democrats, and this party fighting with that party, and they never have any peace because they're serving false gods. Serving false gods will never let you have any peace. And the war that's caused by them, it wears people down. It hurts. It damages. It causes lots of trouble, lots of problems. I know you don't need more problems than you already have, but that's what false god worship will do. Whether you want it or not, you're going to get it. And that's what the Israelites got. That's what they got as a result of walking in the ways of Jeroboam. And they implemented it as policy, just like the world is doing today. They're implementing what God's word says is sin as policy. If you look at uh, voting for a president of the United States, there are party outlines that determine what they will support and not support. And it has to do with sinful things, things that God's word says this, is sin we have it in our presidential outlines of how we vote for them based on what sinful thing they uphold that god's word says don't mess with okay so don't just point at israel and say how could y'all implement that as policy we're doing it today friends it's going on right now and it causes a big mess second kings 13 14 the death of elisha Elisha had become sick with the illness of which he would die. Then Joash, the king of Israel, came down to him and wept over his face and said, Oh, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and their horsemen. So, okay, we haven't heard about Elisha for some time now, but now here he is back in the story. And even though Joash had walked in the ways of Jeroboam, causing this trouble, still he came to visit Elisha simply out of respect for him. Now, being that Joash wept over Elisha, it shows us that Joash had some level of reverence for the Lord, but I think a lot of his crying came from the fact that Joash knew that once Elisha died, then all the trouble he was dealing with would suddenly mean more trouble for Israel ahead of them that he would have to contend with by himself, but without Elisha being around to help him anymore. But Joash called Elisha, my father, is what he called him, which means he regarded Elisha as being greater than himself. And when he said the chariots of Israel and their horsemen, what he meant by that, Joash was recognizing that the armies of heaven were behind Elisha, who were the real defense for Israel, not the armies that the king himself commanded, but the heavenly armies were the real defense for Israel. Now, if you recall back in time, Elisha said the same thing about Elijah when Elijah was dying. He said the same thing that the king said over Elisha. It's in 2 Kings 2, verse 12. He said, My father, my father, the chariot of Israel and its horsemen. So you got to consider Elisha, remember, he was shown the chariots of fire. So he knew that God was Israel's real defense. So now, here in chapter 13, we get to see that King Joash somewhat understood this also. Joash had a little faith, even though he was pushing the sins of Jeroboam. He had a little faith in him, and he had a little faith in the Lord, some. And I think that Elisha cued in on this, because when he called him that, oh, my father, my father, chariot of Israel and its horsemen, Elisha jumped in on him, and which is why he says next in 2 Kings thirteen fifteen, And Elisha said to him, Take a bow and some arrows. So he took himself a bow and some arrows. Then he said to the king of Israel, Put your hand on the bow. So he put his hand on it. And Elisha put his hands on the king's hands. And he said, Open the east window. And he opened it. Then Elisha said, Shoot. And he shot. And he said, The arrow of the Lord's deliverance and the arrow of deliverance from Syria. For you must strike the Syrians at Aphek till you have destroyed them. Okay, so look at this. Here's Joash. He's walking around in the wicked ways of Jeroboam. But Elisha saw some evidence of Joash having some faith. So Elisha took this moment as an opportunity. He told him to pick up a bow and an arrow, which are symbols of strength. It's the symbols of military, it's symbols of fighting. And Elisha put his hands on Joash's hands. Why did he do this? That was to symbolize that the Lord was transferring power into Joash. Whenever the people would do a sacrifice, they would get that sacrifice animal. What they would do is the priest would come, he would lay his hand on that animal's head to identify with it so that the transference of sin, so to speak, would happen symbolically. So they realized that this animal is about to pay the price for our sin. You know, friends, you've got to identify with your Savior Jesus You may not be able to touch him in a physical manner, but you need to be in touch with him spiritually and identify that he paid the price for you to die in your place so that you could be saved. So that was a common practice. When they touched things like this, it meant transference. So the king would understand he would be getting the transference of power to strike towards the east with this arrow of deliverance. And so he told him to shoot that arrow towards the east direction because that was the direction of Judah's enemies, towards the Syrians. So Elisha was doing all of this illustrative stuff here. He was doing all this this picture, everything that he could to show Joash and to instill into Joash that the Lord was going to give him power to strike his enemy and defeat them for Israel's sake. Now, this was all conducted by Elisha, pick up the arrow and shoot him out this way, okay? He needed Joe Ash to understand this experientially. See, I'm a visual learner. You can tell me something, and I don't know if I'll get it or not, but if I look confused, you probably need to draw it out, (laughs) or you need to make me do something that will have me understand it. When I went to electronics school back in the day, we had uh, lab experiments. We didn't just study the theory of electronics and capacitors and resistors and inductors and all these things, I would have been lost. We actually had to go into the lab and put our hands on it and make circuits and apply voltage to it and watch them work. It was seeing what you were learning. It, it, it really helped me a lot.
0: Thank you for listening to Set for Life.